Must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams, about being in teams, about leading teams, about generally getting the most out of your teams. My name is Mark Johnson. I am a performance maker and a performance teacher, and I am joined, as always, by uh, my partner in pod, partner in crime, partner in office once again, Sean Gallagher. Hello, Sean. Hello, Mark. How's your week gone this week? Um, it started off not perfect. Um, and then as the week went on, there were a couple of wins and I left work on Friday feeling pretty good. So it's worth saying one of those wins was we're now a couple of weeks into your house system that we spoke about a few episodes back being in place. House points are being awarded. Uh, teams are winning. What's what's the name of your team? Do you want to give it away? So my house is Westminster. And are you in the lead at the moment? It's actually neck and neck with the other house. Um, yeah, we've got quite a small year group. So there's only two houses that we're going to look to obviously grow out into into more houses. Um, but yeah, it's been really close, actually. Um, and we've got some competitions that are in play as well, um, which will be a big part of the system, getting those up and running. So Those are the big point yeah. items, aren't they? Exactly. You get a house, one house point for being good in class or an activity, but you win one of those competitions... Kaching, Vegas, coins dropping. All of that jazz. <laughs> um, we've got a fantastic guest today. Uh, this was one you just reached out on LinkedIn, is that right? I did. I had a moment of shooting my shot, so to speak. It paid off. So we reached out to a uh, phenomenally interesting and successful person on LinkedIn in the field of resilience, uh, which we think is as teachers, hugely important and quite a large part of our day-to-day. Um, but uh, we will be speaking today to Gemma Lee Roberts from The Resilience Edge. Gemma is uh, one of the leaders of Thinking About Resilience and in particular has one of the top courses on LinkedIn Learning, which we'll link to in the uh, show notes about how you can develop your resilience. And you hear in the episode, she talks a little bit about some of the stuff she's got coming up as well. Um, and really brilliantly, some of it uh, free for everyone. So it doesn't matter, doesn't matter as long as you get to the internet, you can access this, this stuff she's putting together on resilience. Super interview. That's awesome. Awesome. Uh, she's, you know, working on research in the area of resilience. Uh, so yeah, I mean, chartered psychologist on the uh, podcast, can't really go wrong. Brilliant. So let's jump straight over to Gemma Lee Roberts talking about resilience right now. So I am uh, massively excited uh, to welcome on today uh, Gemma Lee Roberts. Gemma is the founder of The Resilience Edge, which is an organization that helps people uh, to increase their resilience. Um, that's that's kind of a broad a broad statement. Um, so perhaps, uh, hello, Gemma. Sorry, I'll say hello and let you say hello back. Hello. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hi, Gemma. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, obviously, I clumsily stamped my way through that intro. So perhaps you could introduce yourself uh, and give us a little bit more information about yourself, the Resilience Edge, and kind of your journey, how you've got to this conversation. Okay. Well, how I got to today, that's quite a question. <laughs> um, hello. So I'm Gemma Lee Roberts. I am a chartered organisational psychologist, um, which means that I work with 
psychology and organizations so it could be businesses it could be schools it could be um teams that kind of stuff so it's a group of people and the psychology behind that so i am the founder of the resilience edge so my main area of focus in my work is resilience so building resilience coping with challenges using kind of resilience principles to learn how to thrive in the future as well so there's a lot of performance psychology in there as well so I do work with lots of individuals around that aspect so I think traditionally when we think of resilience we think of coping with challenges but there's actually lots of misconceptions but generally we think about coping with challenges which is part of the story for sure and very important but there's also this other half which is helping people to really enhance performance even if they're kind of we'd say like middle resilience level. So you're not really low, you're kind of in the middle somewhere. Even just enhancing that a little bit can help you with your performance, your mindset, achieving more, that kind of stuff. So that's the area that I work in. For the sick formers that we work with who are who are going, yes, that's that's what I want to be doing. You can give the careers talk. Okay, amazing. Well, it actually does go really far back. And I only realized this probably in the last five years or so. So um I as a child, I think I kind of always had psychology in me, if that makes sense. Like I'm very interested in people. I'm very nosy, basically. I'm very interested in what makes people pay the way they do. Um, and I read tons of autobiographies as a child and biographies. I think because my dad had them mm. um, and they'd be lying around, I'd read them. You know, even like as a little kid, I was reading the most obscure autobiographies. Um, <laughs> so I actually kind of think that's where it started. Um, and then... So I did my um, my A-levels in, I couldn't do psychology actually because I couldn't, I was in a consortium of schools and I couldn't, I would have been at three different schools and I, I had to do two at one school and one A-level another one. So I did sociology, business studies and English literature. Lovely. And then when I went to university, <laughs> um, I did I couldn't go straight. I didn't want to go just in psychology because I, obviously I'd never done it before. So I chose sociology and psychology and then because it's all regulated by the British Psychological Society, what ended up happening is it was basically a psychology degree with a little bit of sociology thrown in there. Um, so that was cool. And then I, as part of my degree, I did two six-month work placements. So one was in HR and one was in occupational psychology. Um, I hated the occupational psychology one. I thought this is the most boring <laughs> thing I've ever done. <laughs> I think that yeah. particular role <laughs> was really boring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and what's really annoying is in my degree they when I was there they got rid of the module that was occupational psychology and that's the one I was kind of interested in yeah I left university kind of none the wiser about how I was going to use any of this psychology I knew I didn't want to be a clinical psychologist I knew I didn't want to be a counseling psychologist because I just thought I'd never be able to switch off from that like I can't imagine going home and not worrying about that stuff yes. um, so I need something that's still psychology but I can kind of remove myself a little bit and maybe a bit more forward focusing rather than kind of just looking back at life. Um, so I went and worked for six months in an HR department in the city, went traveling for six months. And then when I was traveling, decided that I was going to give occupational psychology a shot. So then I came back and did my master's in occupational psychology, um, which I absolutely loved. I really loved it. And I worked at the same time. So it was very full on, um, which is a bit of a theme. I've always got a million things going on. Um, so it was very, very full on. But 
I loved it. So I finished and I was still a bit like, I don't know what to do now because um, I love my topic. There were some really surprising things in there that I learned. So I, I kind of fell in love with coaching and positive psychology. Mm. Um, and I thought I was going to hate them. And I looked at the module agenda. I was like, what on earth is coaching? What a load of rubbish. And positive psychology, they're going to sit us in a room for a module on positive Right, it feels, it feels uh, <laughs> like there's got to be joysticks in there somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. I was like, oh no, like I planned to quite a good university to do this. I can't believe this is what we're doing. Um, <laughs> honestly, I was so cynical. I didn't want to go yeah. to the lectures, like to force myself in. Oh, I totally fell in love with them. Yeah. And that's basically my work today uses those two modules more than anything. So there's a bit of a tip if anyone um, like is thinking about that. I'm like, give things a go, even if you might be a little bit cynical to start with. It's very interesting you say that because we mentioned uh, it was either the last podcast or the podcast before um, how Sean is a big fan of uh, kind of positive slogans, uh, having having your values written up on the wall and I would roll my eyes at them. And then through the course of sharing an office and sharing the podcast, I suddenly find myself uh, feeling them embodied in a way that... that has had a positive impact that I would never have kind of chosen to step towards, but they're there and they're, yeah. they've been working and they have changed how we work together. So yeah. I know that feeling massively, <laughs> that kind of eye roll that ends up turning into evangelism almost. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a, I have a, your only limit is you framed in our office now, which Mark doesn't hate, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's progress. That's exactly good. exactly Gemma I was gonna say that it's really interesting I think uh sort of like a really early sort of takeaway for me especially for maybe a slightly younger audience um my, my brother is just about to start a master's um in in football performance coaching and he's working at the same time so he's doing the master's full time as well and like you said mm -hmm. it's really full on but you said you didn't get a huge amount from kind of your university sort of academic experience and then you went off and then you had work experience and then you've done your master's and mm -hmm. now you've stayed in that industry so is is would you say most of what you've done has been sort of learning on the job so to speak as well as the master's was the master's a game changer basically or was it more of that work experience because I think people just see university as the be all and end all of understanding what you're going to need to do in your job and in your role I think it totally depends what you're going to end up doing. So obviously, if you're going to be a doctor or a dentist or a vet, you, yeah. you, you need to do that. And it's kind of the same as psychology because you have to have a basis of knowledge. I mean, I can't recall everything to do with neuropsychology, or, but I get the principles. And I, it also teaches you, um, especially the master's, I'd say, more than the undergraduate degree, it teaches you like how to assess a good piece of research mm. or how to know if something's biased or where the gaps are so it means that it kind of teaches you how to do things in a research-based kind of way as well so i'd say with the masters you get a good grounding in all the areas of occupational psychology so you get you're exposed to them but then what will probably happen if you carry on working in that field is you will choose your area within that and then become an expert and i think it's then the experience part the actual work part which makes you the expert so it kind of gives you a grounding um and i certainly wouldn't be doing what i'm doing now if I hadn't done my um, degree in masters. So, what led you to set up the res uh, the Resilience Edge? What was the what was the incitement there? Well, 
oh, okay, I was thinking about this now. I have to kind of step back, like try and re, re, um, rewind years and think back. So when I finished my master's, um, I went to work in-house again. So I, I, I was working in HR. I changed over to learning and development, so made that leap. So I was actually training people. Mm. Um, and then I kind of changed a bit more, and I was doing more of the strategy stuff around people development, not necessarily doing all the training myself. Um, and I did my chartership at the same time. So that's another full on process in the psychology world. Um, and that takes a minimum of two, normally takes longer than, well, when I did it, it normally takes um, two years. So I did it in the two years. And I was kind of a bit like, oh, what do I do now? And then I got made redundant um, for a job which I really disliked actually. Um, so it's actually really good. I was, I was quite pleased. <laughs> and I was like, because I'd always, because the other thing is I started looking for other jobs and the ones that I was quite interested in were very project-based. So um, designing something, rolling it out, testing yeah. it. They were very project. And they tended to be more like contract roles rather than permanent roles. And I found, I had found with my career, I'd, I'd had all permanent roles, but I'd moved like every few years to learn new things because I'd, I feel like, well, I've got to learn the next thing or I want to expand a bit on this. Right. And I thought if I was contracting, I could do more of that. Um, so being made redundant, I didn't have three months notice anymore. And with contracts, you can't have that. Like, you've got to be ready straight away. Yeah. So it meant I could start doing more of that. So that was great. And then I um, went to work for a massive organisation and um, designing like a big leadership programme. So it's a global leadership programme. The budget was insane like <laughs> probably sickeningly insane yeah. um i was traveling literally all around the world delivering stuff filming stuff um it was it was so it's great it was kind of what i'd always thought i wanted to, wanted to do work-wise yeah. and i was just really miserable i just wasn't mm. enjoying it at all and i think partly it was the organization for sure because that's so important um but partly it was a bit like well i never really like i did i, I i'm part of this like I think the program is about nine months. It's a nine month program. And then I never speak to these people again. I never know what's worked, what hasn't worked. Um, and it was actually my 30th birthday. I'd delivered a course in Houston and my now husband, but then boyfriend came and met me and we drove down to like slowly drove down to the Florida Keys. Um, and I, it's when we were there, I was like, I'm not going back to the same when we go home. I'm going to focus. I was like, I, I want to, switch things again so rather than delivering what an organization needs around a leadership program i want to have my subject the things that i think are really important and i want to be able to deliver that in different places which right. is where the resilience edge came from because that's why i was seeing more and more of that people needed help with both leaders and, and actually everyone in the organization so from a well-being perspective also a performance perspective dealing with changes dealing with challenges um and that's kind of where it came from, really. And then I just had to spend tons and tons of time researching, creating stuff, um, and then kind of starting from scratch and working for myself, which was a whole different ball game. I mean, that's that was change again. So I kind of done permanent. I've done contracting. I've had my own business. Um, so yeah, so it's been a bit of a whirlwind, really. But that's how the resilience edge come about. Yeah, there's something about your journey there, as you've described it, that has itself been a test of kind of resilience and reframing and 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 putting yourself in a place of risk or noticing that mm. you're in a place of risk and having to apply all of the all of the things that you're, you're you're wanting to deliver all of these values that you are trying to share 
to yourself in order to get where you are. And I think that's, um, mm-hmm. the, I, I don't know, the idea of being forged by fire a little bit to, in, in order to deliver this resilience message is an, is an, an interesting uh, idea for me. That you can always say, uh, afraid of quitting or, you know, <laughs> the world hits you with a surprise. Well, this is what happened when it happened to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I totally have lived it for sure. Mm. And that's really weird, like in the psychology world, because everything, I'm also so now I'm doing a doctorate um, in that area as well. So I'm kind of midway through, so it should be finished kind of end of next year is my plan. Um So I'm kind of getting even, like, even, even I've got the resilience edge, I'm now doing like my research in that yeah. area as well your new so it's knowledge, just kind of your, yeah. my new knowledge to just keep going um i don't know what happens after that i assume i hope i stop <laughs> after that i believe you become it, a but... super villain that's that's the only, that's the only <laughs> thing after so. the doctor <laughs> a resilient <laughs> super like villain yeah oh i can't let it sound enough <laughs> so and and that doctorate the the research in that Gemma, can you speak a little bit on what that research is is specifically around yeah, so I'm going to be looking at um, it's going to be looking at the leadership population, but I'm but I'm trying to but I'll be creating something that kind of translates for everyone, not just leaders. But you kind of have to have something framing your research. Um, but I'm going to be looking at what factors have an influence in how successful a coaching, a resilience coaching intervention is. So um, we know a little bit. We we starting to learn a bit more in research about what types of interventions are successful, can be successful, so coaching or training or, or how they're designed. We yeah. don't know a huge amount, but we know we can kind of say yes or no. This yeah. stuff kind There's of There's a lot of anecdotal, experiential, so kind of, well, it worked. Yeah. Exactly. And you've got to kind of, you've got to find the evidence, the scientific evidence to say why. But what we don't know a lot about, in fact, hardly anything about, is why some of this stuff works. So um, I'll be doing kind of more qualitative, research so finding out people's perspectives and interviewing um the leaders that take part in the program to find out what not just themselves in terms of like how they affect and how they think how that affects the success of the program also things like their environment so their organization their home life um whether they're facing loads of challenges at the moment um whether it's been a really changeable year which it has for everyone and um, yep. so I'm kind of looking at these factors around. Someone, it's a, it's a tough themselves. time to try and collect data at the moment yeah. without, without kind of having everything that's been going on impact it. So are you looking in specific fields for that or are you kind of looking for correlation across different kind of workplaces and organisations? So ultimately, it's kind of looking across different organisations. So it's finding out a little bit more about what are those, because we know resilience is really dynamic. So we know it's not a personality trait. So mm. hardiness is a personality trait, resilience isn't. Okay. Um, we know that it is based on how you've learned to respond to challenges. You have to have challenges to become more resilient, which is one of the ironies, which I love. But we also know this, it's it, into plays with your environment as well so it could depend what situation you're in so sometimes you might feel kind of really strong responding to a challenge or you or sometimes something knocks you off course and it's not a major thing I normally think oh I I deal with that kind of thing all the time I don't know why that event kind of knocked me off course and it's probably because there's so much other stuff going on there could Mm. be a million challenges at once you could have um had a bereavement or an argument or um that there could be stress from somewhere else so we know that resilience is dynamic in that it can change in ourselves over time. And we know that it's dynamic in that 
it interacts with your environment, but we don't know how. So yes. that's what I'm trying to figure out. And uh, sorry, I'm finding this super fascinating. So we will get on to Teams uh, in a bit. But <laughs> um, in terms of, uh, so as as a performance maker and a performance teacher, uh, that idea of challenges as a builder of resilience, uh, mm-hmm. I find I've, I find I'm meeting daily with students. I'm setting up what I would consider uh, risky environments, a version of risk in the environment mm-hmm. in, or, in order to challenge them. And sometimes that means giving them less information than they'd expect or giving them a, a gap that they need to leap. And I feel like I can do that because I'm in a teaching environment. How mm-hmm. does how does one, um, and I'm thinking from your position and experience in HR, how does one as an organizational leader, as a manager, create opportunities for that risk without putting other stuff in peril, like the day-to-day running of the business? Uh, mm-hmm. how, do we, how, do we, how do we go about building, because it is, like you say, dynamic, resilience, within our specific context without putting our context at risk? So you can do it, but you can't always do it, if that makes sense. So there's only so much controlled risk you can create. Sometimes it just is a risk and people need to learn how to deal with those. And I think you're right in a teaching environment. It's a bit like parenting as well. You can give give the children that you're working with challenges that you know are going to push them outside their comfort zone. They're probably not going to have the answers, but they're going to try and figure out how to find those answers. Or Mm. sometimes we want them to fail a little bit. So they get used to the idea that everyone fails at something. Um, And actually that's the learning experience. It's that whole kind of growth mindset. That's a big part of resilience as well. And you learn from that experience the next time you come across a challenge. Um, But I, I have to say, I see much less of that in organizations because there's less of that, I guess it's more controlled because there is that authority. So whether it be a teacher or a parent, someone that kind of knows more, if that makes sense, and is very purposely helping the other person to develop. And that works really well in those contexts. I think we probably could see more of it in work environments in some places. So sometimes you'll have leaders who um, don't necessarily let their teams go and figure the stuff out themselves. They get very involved or very... um, they kind of over-direct things sometimes, or even worse, I think, in organisations, it's a massive um, issue that I'm seeing, is that people are scared to fail and they're scared to let their teams make mistakes because it could impact what what the team's trying to do as a whole or that leader, they feel like it could reflect on them. Definitely. Uh, And ultimately that stilts people. It means we can't, I'm not saying, it has to, obviously it has to be a controlled failure in some ways you, you, you know you don't want to send a company bankrupt because you've got rogue i don't know something going on um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know rogue I'm, all, I'm all about it <laughs> but is that a I'm big part of, of it is that a big part of it Gemma in terms of like the money side of things when we talk mm. about risk because as we said when we're in the drama room for Mark and when I'm on the sports pitch in a school environment we can be risky, but there's a like, version of stakes that there's a different version of stakes than there is going to be for a huge bank who may lose, mm-hmm. you know, 50 million or 100 million in a day or something crazy like that. So th- mm-hmm. does that play a part as well in that kind of risk riskiness that we're talking about? I do. I think so. But I also think there are so many decisions every day that people make that 
don't have to be massively risky either that either they might not feel empowered to make those decisions or sometimes people can get a bit lazy because they don't have to make the decisions someone else will do it if they don't if they're not the one that acts on it they don't have to take so risk is uncomfortable they don't have to take that on someone else will step in and do it or someone else will yeah. make the decision so i think um having better parameters around that but who's um what's in someone's control what kind of decisions they can make what kind of decisions they can't make but if you look at like really innovative organizations so for example um pixar so yeah. um ed catmull who runs pixar has got a book called creativity inc mm. um and it's actually a really good book. He talks a lot about creativity and what it takes to, to help a team or an individual be creative. And some of it is you have to let them fail and you have to let them try things. Because yeah. Especially in, in innovation, we don't know what works before we try it because otherwise it would have been done before. So um, I think some organizations do this really well. Obviously some of the bigger tech, as you'd imagine, yeah. do this kind of thing much better. Um, but I think there's definitely some room to do more of that. Um, in organizations for sure so from what you're saying there does does that mean in your opinion that a lot of team resilience is ultimately tied specifically to the resilience of one person within that team either the person managing it or if there's a particularly strong personality that so I'm I'm to bring it onto teams the question I wanted I've been wanting to ask is the difference between organizational resilience or team resilience and individual resilience and whether or not that even exists. If it, if ultimately my ability to feel resilient as a member of a team is so closely linked to my manager's uh, preparedness to let me go and screw it up. Mm -hmm. The answer is we don't hundred percent know. Mm. Um, so we don't have the research that tells us this is the big factor. That's part of what I'm looking at because I, I want to look outside of the individual. It's not just about giving someone the tools to be able to enhance resilience, cope with challenges, um, bounce forward, all of that stuff. It's also about giving them the environment yeah. to be able to do that as well. And some of that environment will come down to things like policies and procedures. Some of it will come down to things like culture and that works in sports teams as well. You know, you know, different sports teams have different cultures or um, like ways they do things. Yeah. Some of it will come down to the individuals and how they interact. Um, some of it will come down to who's leading that team, who's managing that team, um, whether that be in a sports capacity or at work. But the answer is we don't 100% know. We don't know if, for example, uh, we don't know kind of what percentage impact a manager mm. or a leader would have or um, what percentage or how important it is to make sure you've got different personalities on the team. Right. So you, we know it does have an impact, but yeah. we don't know exactly how yet. But that's part of the research that I'm doing. Yeah. So we did, we have um, on a previous episode spoken to uh, someone from Belbin who have that kind of uh, psychological angle on that different differing personalities. And it occurred to me then, and I never quite got around to answering it, um, like are any of those roles the ones that ultimately impact something like resilience on the team is it the you know the named innovator who can communicate or infect a team with resilience or are there people that particularly stunt it you know because because they have a job to do uh, and just how complex that balance is <laughs> 
It's really complex. And I think, you know, it might be the case that, again, we don't necessarily know yet, but it could be the case that someone that is very resilient naturally might be able to pull the team along and mm. help the rest of their teammates feel more resilient, like feel they can find the answers, feel like they can cope with challenges, do the problem solving. They might be able to pull that out of people. Well, it could, we don't know, I haven't tested it. It could have the opposite effect, where actually you want people who, there's a mix of people. Mm. But it's, it's, it's that kind of dynamic aspect um which i don't think we know enough about yet yeah i think um yeah i think with the belbin roles i do think you need that mix i think that's ultimately what they're trying to say i think as an organization is that you do need that mixed role um in order for, mm -hmm. for the organization to flourish and if there are those kind of roles missing um then there's always going to be gaps in that organization to be the best it can be um, but I think what I was going to say, um, as the founder of the Resilience Edge, Gemma, um, you know, <laughs> and this is very much a resilience uh, episode. How would I think two questions? One, how would you kind of define what resilience is in, in your terms? Because people are going to have different terms for it. How would you kind of define resilience? Um, and then I think secondly, how are some really practical ways um of being a bit more resilient in in your role or in your organization or, de or, de or developing or it developing if you feel like you it. haven't got yeah, it yeah because i think our audience are always trying to take those little sort of the key nuggets, little the gems nuggets away you know that they can sort of scroll down uh write down <laughs> and sort of go into work on monday um put, i certainly put, it, do. put in a frame on the wall yeah exactly so yeah those two questions for me Gemma. okay so resilience is the capacity to deal with challenges that occur. Um, but more than that, it's about using those experiences to then be able to thrive in the future. That's my definition of resilience. And that, nice. that pulls in lots of different definitions. So it's not just focusing on where you are right now and what you need to get through, if that makes sense, and, and deal with um, obstacles or change. But it's actually about using that experience. Like being a bit smart about it i guess and using that experience to actually help you to be happier in the future and to thrive more so and perform better mm. in the future as well so that's my take on it again like we said we know it's dynamic we know there's lots of factors that um that impact how resilient you can be um in terms of top tips um this is probably quite useful actually so i'm literally about to film next week um a 10 days of resilience course that is going to have 10 very top tips in how to um, boost resilience and that's going to be available for free on, on the resilience edge website but also um if you get stuck you can find me on linkedin and i'll be obviously posting about this stuff when it's up and running so the whole idea is that it's there it's not resilience training in that i won't be teaching people about what resilience is and where it's come from, all that kind of stuff, because we've got LinkedIn learning courses around that. And also that's just a different yeah. kind of course. Um, they're literally 10 days worth of tips, basically. So one different exercise a day. And the idea is that people give them one go, and then there should be things that stand out as an individual that you want to hopefully carry on doing and create a habit from. So I can tell you a couple of those if that's helpful. We'd love a, a sneak preview. peek into, uh, love a preview, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> okay so one of them um, you won't be surprised to know is thinking about gratitude so thinking about what um what we should what we've got that we can be thankful for because 
this actually comes back a little bit to positive psychology, uh, which came around, I think it was in the 90s, positive mm. psychology was born out of the world of psychology. And the idea was that as psychologists, we very much focus on what's wrong with people. So mm. what kind of, how can we help people? Um, what kind of disorders do we have? How's our mental health? You know, what's wrong? How can we make people better? Um, and an American psychologist called Martin Seligman, he was the head of the American Association, American Psychological Association um, for a year. And he, he kind of led this positive psychology. So instead of thinking about what's wrong with people, why don't we start thinking about what's actually right with people um, and actually how we can help people do more of that rather than always focusing on kind of what's lacking, what we haven't got, what we need to do more yeah. of, which don't get me wrong, we all know that stuff about ourselves. You know, we know, I'm sure most I do. Know, <laughs> I certainly do. <laughs> and I talk about it all the time. I'm like, oh, that's not my forte. I'm not very organized. I'm not great at this. I'm not great at that. But actually the whole point of positive psychology is focusing on what you are good at. Um, so gratitude comes into that slightly in that rather than focusing on just focusing on the challenges you're facing changes going on things that might be quite stressful or might make you feel anxious taking a moment to stop thinking about that and use that part of your brain to think about what is going well mm. can actually start to change your thinking and your mindset it's kind of like a, a gentle reminder um have either of you ever practiced gratitude before so we are both personal tutors of uh, 15 year olds uh, or have been in the past. And we have these registration periods of 15 minutes that we see them every day and trying to make something meaningful out of those. Gratitude as a practice is something that, that we were both injecting as a, I was doing it fortnightly because I think I'd read somewhere that doing it every day, it doesn't quite have the impact because it becomes a different kind of habit it become you're just used to ticking a box um mm -hmm. but actually spending 15 minutes once a week or once a fortnight solidly thinking about it um has a has a, a genuine effect and some of them it went past them uh but those that were prepared to engage properly with it and and actually genuinely ask the question uh I think there was some there was some real positive impact from it. Yeah, I think I think for me, just more personally, if we take out the students for a second, um, I my mum just always said to me, there's always someone worse off than you. <laughs> and I've always tried to kind of take that with me. So if I'm having a bad day or a bad week or something's not going quite right, I always have to just quickly snap into what's the good stuff. Yeah, someone's someone out there is having a much worse time than me. And so I'm grateful for my position. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's in the modern world, it's a very difficult one to do the gratitude because I think we always feel someone has more than us. Someone is doing better than us. Someone is more successful than us. Um, and, you know, social media plays a role in that. And I'm sure that mm -hmm. is something around resilience as well with the social media element. But um, yeah, no. So just, uh, yeah, just having my mum in my ear going, uh, going, uh, someone else is worse off than you. Uh, be grateful for what you have. So, yeah, but it's not an easy practice. Um to do as I said external factors can really hinder your gratitude I think mm -hmm. I think well, your mum has tapped into um something in resilience called perspective so thinking about um right. other perspectives so rather than focusing on what you're thinking think about someone else for example um yeah. so that's really that's really really positive and I think as well like take me wrong I'm I'm I you know I don't sit at the dinner table with my kids you know one's a one-year-old one's a three-year-old every evening and go through our gratitude list 
you know, <laughs> I wish I did, maybe. Because um, that's the kind of family I wish I was. But we're not, we're definitely not there. We're probably trying to scoop food off the walls or, I don't know, stop a meltdown about someone having to eat a pea or something. I don't know. Um, I think perspective would mean you're not alone there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's the kind of life I do. But I have to say there are times like we, you know, especially in lockdown, for example, mm. it was so full on trying to work from home with the children there as well. But there were also lots of positives to it as well. So again, thinking about that flipping the perspective, um, it stopped me commuting, which was amazing. And I was planning to cut down on that anyway. So it meant I was at home a bit more and could enjoy stuff at home a bit more. Um, but I did have to sometimes kind of... So I think with gratitude, it's important not to feel like you have to change your thinking. You're still allowed to be annoyed. You're still allowed to be mm. upset. You're still allowed to be hurt. You're still allowed to be overwhelmed, all of those things. But it's you kind of holding that, but at the same time holding yeah. that other view. But actually... Recognising where it sits in the balance of things. Exactly. In, in the spectrum of it. There are yeah. some positive things. And I think we, yeah, we've done the same thing as far as uh, this podcast being a product of lockdown and the outcomes of an, a hell of a lot of uh, positive conversations that we've ended up having the good fortune to have mm-hmm. as as a, as a result of wanting to keep a chat going that we'd normally do every day. Yeah, I mean, I just we just had our our last uh, episode with uh, Rob Richardson, um, who's like ex Team GB sitting volleyball um, player and uh, captain. And on my LinkedIn post, you know, I put it's not lost on No Eye Podcast getting the opportunity to speak to such amazing people sort of on a weekly basis. Like it's definitely mm-hmm. not lost on us. Um, we're hugely grateful to be talking to you right now and all of our other guests. And that's really gave us, as we like to say, like a lot of juice um, throughout lockdown. So, yes, it's and there it's are, there are Yeah, there are a few there are a few better people, I think, to speak to about something like resilience than a Paralympian. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Yeah, that they've taken an experience they've had no control over, and rather than seek the path of well, like that's now my limitation, mm-hmm. uh, they've gone okay, that's my challenge. Mm-hmm. What opportunities does this challenge now present? Uh, yeah. So it was a hugely inspiring talk from a resilience point of view. Amazing. And that's, I think that's one of the other things as well. Like one of my other top tips is thinking about the problems that will be inside of things. Mm. So, you know, sometimes we come across challenges, but I do all the time. Like I never know what I'm doing, that I'm doing new things all the time. Um, And I never, I generally very rarely know what I'm doing. Now, of course, I've learned some things that I can kind of keep continuing to do, but I'm always learning new things. And I think sometimes I sit and think about it. I'm like, oh, how am I going to do it? I've literally got no idea where to start. I don't know if I can do this. I have to really challenge myself to think about, hang on a sec, I thought that about this scenario or that scenario or all those things I've done in the past. So that's kind of one of my challenges for people really, is sit down and think about, you know, over the last year, three big challenges you faced and how you found the answers and how you worked out what to do with that. We don't all have the answers straight away. That's not what resilience is. And it's, yeah. that's not what life is. We, but the point is, it's about, it's about building this self-belief in that, you may not have the answers you may not know what to do but you will figure it out and you'll keep going until you figure it out and you'll ask people or um or get help or focus on whatever it is until you figure out what you need to do and you'll try as well it doesn't matter if you fail and that's massively the angle that uh a coaching approach takes that you might not have the answer but you definitely have the capacity to find the answer Uh, Mm -hmm. and 
the support of a set of, of, a, of a, a second party, of someone sitting opposite you, not necessarily giving you the answers, but saying, I want you to imagine yourself as someone who can work this out. What would that person do is a really, mm-hmm. is a, is a really valuable asset, whether that is formally a coach or, you know, uh, your partner or your family member or whoever, Mm-hmm. sharing challenge in that way can be a can be a huge strength in terms of in terms of building resilience i was going to say as well as i was listening to um uh, another podcast that we we speak about quite often called the high performance podcast um and there was um michelle moan who set up uh ultimo i believe yeah. um yeah no she was saying that she she was having such a rough time of it divorce and uh, almost bankruptcy and all these kind of things and she went away to america with a coach and just spent a week with a coach and it kind of revolutionized her perspectives and she came back and then you know has gone on to to huge success so like mark was saying in terms of that coaching and resilience i think they really are tied and i think as well focusing on the future i guess that's my third tip because like similarly Mm. that's always really inspiring so i think like a third tip focusing on the future thinking about where you're going not just where you are right now because we get so bogged down in what's happening right now and I, 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 I keep meaning to write about it so I have a course on LinkedIn Learning that is like hugely popular it's a little bit of luck it's the right topic in the right place all of that stuff and um, top 20 Gemma isn't it top 20 on LinkedIn it is <laughs> I think it's number right up five there right up the there number five courses. Yeah, I know. I saw uh, that link link to that course in the show notes to so check exactly. that out. <laughs> Hugely impressive, um, Gemma. Which is amazing. But do you know what's really funny? It's the first course I ever filmed for LinkedIn Learning. So I'd done some filming before, like in the UK, locally. So that's in California. Um, so I'd done some filming like locally before. Um, I definitely put myself out there having to figure out how to be filmed on camera and work a very yeah. rudimentary autocue and all that stuff. Mm. It was you no know, hard. But this is a whole new level. Like you turn up and they're, they're film studios and you've got ex-Hollywood directors filming some of this stuff. You've got sound crews and hair and makeup and um, I've, I've got an editor that I've worked with before I get there that's helped me write my scripts and you've got the same auto cue as on Good Morning America. It's insane. <laughs> nice. Like you, you turn up, so, it's, it's insane like turning up. But before that, like I'm, you know, when that started, I didn't really know what I was getting into, but I had basically almost sent myself bankrupt trying to get the business to where yeah. I wanted it to be. And wow. I remember, it's really funny watching that. Um, I don't watch it very often, but if I do watch clips of that course, is that, I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people have watched it, but I'm 10 weeks pregnant, so I feel very, very sick. Um, so I'm quite anxious as well about the fact that I've travelled, it was my first baby, Obviously, no one knew that I was. I had to tell mm. them when I got there because um, I was very ill. So I'm throwing up in between takes. I'm my clothes aren't fitting oh. properly because I grow <laughs> very quickly when I'm pregnant. And um, I'm literally. I'm not joking when I say I had no money. I was getting on the plane at Heathrow, and I was like, I don't know if I can buy a coffee because I don't know if my card's going to be rejected, and I should save that in case I need it when I get there at the other end. And I'm like Jesus. ten weeks pregnant can't buy coffee my, my husband gets a little bit heartbroken when I tell him that story he's like I didn't know it was like that bad <laughs> he's like I feel awful I'm gonna give you a packed lunch um, the Starbucks card <laughs> the Starbucks card but I was like because I knew what was happening like I was coming back to start and so I was going to America to film this course the LinkedIn it's not as big it wasn't as big then as it is now it's huge now but I knew it was a massive opportunity um I knew that I was going to get my um 
the royalties payments were going to start. I was going to get my, you get a bit of advance to write mm. it, you get a bit of an advance when it goes live. I knew that was coming in. Um, and I was coming straight back. So flying back on the weekend, on the Monday, I was starting a massive project for a big bank because I knew that mm. was happening. So I knew it was all happening, if that makes sense. But at that moment in time, I was like deer in headlights when I got there. And like first course of field, I've got no experience at all in this scale of, scale of things and it's such a popular course it's just and people must watch it and think god like i, I could never do that or yeah. i don't know how she got there yeah. or how she managed that and little do they know all of that background and i watched yeah. it i'm like oh my goodness it's insane but it's that perspective thing isn't it a bit like you're saying about social media what we see and i wasn't portraying anything different by any means i mean i probably wasn't telling you while i was always bankrupt I wasn't saying I was really successful. Yeah. Um, and you also, you probably don't walk around with a hair and makeup team. There isn't someone snipping no. out your ums and ahs. And, and totally. like, That's not it's my normal all a bit life. of a blag. It's all a bit of a blag sometimes. Yeah. Mark, Mark uh, cuts out my ums and ahs for me every week. So oh, If you could do mine, that would be good. But that's what might be interesting people listening to this, anyone that has mm. seen that, because they're so slick, those courses, like super slick. Um and this is completely different. You're going to get all kinds from this. Yeah, and, and that's I, I, it's kind of what I what I love about this as a process, and you know, to, to kind of not specifically to our own horn, but we started this journey with zero knowledge and zero experience, like throwing it out there to to Paralympians or to yourself or to the managing partner of Belbin to go, we kind of want to have a chat about something and you, you're the person to have that chat with. Like we have zero expectation of you saying yes, but like shoot our shot and you know two out of ten of them pay off and yeah it's been my massive learning because mark is more you know you were talking about innovation and stuff at the beginning and trying things and failing um my personality isn't like that if i'm going to do something i want it to be the best it can be and i want it to be 100 percent right the first time around <laughs> and that that becomes a blocker for me because it stops yeah. me in like in your position maybe i wouldn't have gone out to, to the US and stuff because I might have said oh no I'm, I'm not ready for that you know I, I can't I can't do that so to speak and so Mark has kind of broken down that wall a little bit by going look let's just get it out and then we can worry about improving it you know now we're on you know 20 odd episodes and we're speaking to you know a chartered psychologist and uh, a pretty big deal um and so you know it gives PBD. you yeah exactly yeah, it, Gemini it, Roberts, PBD. Yeah, it, it does it does make you feel a bit more like okay just try things and i hope that the listeners will take th this on board today as well it's just like try things especially if you know me and mark you both know we hadn't done any of this beforehand <laughs> no. you know so give it a go because it can it can be a game changer um and has been in your case certainly yeah totally and but i still have to push myself like i right. there's there's I should be working on a podcast and I don't know where to start so that's a whole different story I'm, I'm so nervous about contacting people and them just ignoring me which don't get me wrong I've had huge amounts in my career I still get it people ignore me um but I don't know just something about it like trying to start something that means something to me yeah. Yeah, um yeah. and it not working so I totally get that but I just have to find ways to push myself and I just and I know I always do eventually um, and also not everything works. I think I could give you, you know, we could do a whole nother episode one day. We could probably do a series and all the things that I've tried that haven't worked. 
Yeah. And I, I do nice. just keep trying. And you have to kind of push that embarrassment to one side as well. I yeah. think, sometimes. We, we've just set up a podcast consultancy. So if you are looking to set one up, Gemma, <laughs> literally uh, this got moment now. Just this moment now. No, no, not. <laughs> Although on that subject, Dr. Matt Slater, if you're listening to this podcast, please come on our podcast. Exactly. Uh, we, we shout out to Dr. Matt Slater, who wrote the book on teamwork. So Gemma, we always ask our guests um we like to say that coaches make coaches so who has kind of influenced you or you know had an impact on you whether it be sort of in your your personal life or in your career um that has made you kind of the person you are today in terms of how you work within teams or how you lead um or how you go about your business basically oh and and in this case because it's been the focus of the chat you know in terms of resilience exactly oh, gosh um so i think there are so many people that have influenced me in different ways and have helped in different ways i think that probably i'm because i'm thinking because we've also been talking a little bit about teaching today so I'm, I'm actually thinking a little bit about teachers when i was at school more than anything um and I remember my English teacher really pushing I mean, she was really harsh on me. I'm not sure she actually liked me that much, actually. I was a bit of a, um, <laughs> bit of a chatterbox at school. I like to push the boundaries. I got a little bit bored. Um, if they didn't like you, they wouldn't bother. It's, the ones, oh, it's okay. the ones that were deadly quiet that you've got to worry about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, she must have loved me then. Um, <laughs> I remember her, like, pushing me outside my comfort zone and just kind of reining me in a little bit, but also um, just having that, belief in that I had the ability to do so I actually found the English literature quite hard the um, A level um, and she would just push me and just be a bit like oh it sounds maybe it sounds a bit um, harsh but, but just be, be a bit like no, don't be silly like you can do this you've just got to keep giving it a try and kind of rein me in a little bit but also pushed me a little bit and I think there I think I was very lucky with the school that I went to that I was a bit naughty and there were a few teachers there that really did have that belief in me. And also I, I, I came from, you know, I, I didn't I come from the same background that I'm in now. I, I was, I had a very different childhood to the, to the type of life I have now. Um, and I think having those people around you that see something in you and help to draw that out, it's so important. So probably my English teacher at school. Yeah. Is what I think it, it is hugely important, isn't it, to, to feel as a young person or as any person, someone else who is aspirational for you. Yeah. Because that's kind of where we learn that possibility, where we learn yeah. that, 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 uh, that, well, if they think I can do it, maybe, maybe I should agree with them. Yeah. That totally. cheerleader, that cheerleader. Absolutely. And, I, and I think Gemma, like that, you're describing there sort of what me and Mark have discussed a lot. And we have a school counselor who um, has, has said it many times and it it's really stuck with me is the high challenge kind of high support. So it seems yeah. as though that teacher was, was challenging you, but also backing that up with support. And I think that's where kind of that empathy comes in from the support side of it. Cause you feel like you're not challenging me cause you want me to fail. You're challenging me cause you want me to succeed and you believe in me. So mm -hmm. I think that can be really powerful so important a lot of english english and english literature teachers been mentioned in in this slot particularly so i think there's something about the subject that uh, uh either it's who we're speaking to or because it's uh, a transformational subject at school the english teachers out there this one's for you yeah i feel uh, like i should track down miss nolan 
don't know where she is now. Yeah. I could actually track her down. She'll probably be able to find you pretty quickly on a LinkedIn search. <laughs> probably. Yeah. yeah. And, and, okay. and, and has a scrapbook. Yeah. And has a scrapbook of everything you've done. Do you know what? She probably doesn't even remember. That's the thing. Like, I think, especially as teachers, there's so many kids that you, I know people stand out and I know you build relationships, but you have an impact on so many people's lives that you will never remember it in the same way as that person does. Yeah. Um, which is amazing. And that's why, you know, you teach stuff such a hard time, such a hard job. And yet it's such an important job. Um, so well done, you two. <laughs> Thanks Thank very you. much. Um, and then the last thing we ask is if there's anything you would like to uh, point people towards, either because they must know it or plug, because it would be great if they saw something you'd made. Uh, obviously, I'm going to put a link to the uh, to the LinkedIn learning in the show notes. But if there's anything else, uh, where can we point people towards? Um, two places I would go if you want to find out a bit more information. Firstly, LinkedIn. So if you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll get updates of all new stuff that comes out. And I've got a newsletter that comes out every couple of weeks called Mindset Matters. Yeah. It's actually on LinkedIn, though. Um, and that's got like, well, 90,000 subscribers at the moment. So it's really growing. Um, yeah, that's great. You know, it's so good seeing those come out so like regularly and stuff, you know, wh- and why is emotional topics. intelligence? Yeah, why is emotional intelligence so important and things like that? And that's the question we didn't even get on today, but that's one of the newsletter kind of head uh, headlines, isn't it? Yeah, and they're all that kind of thing. It's all to do with how you think or future of work or what's happening. So that's the first thing I'd say, follow me because then you'll always be alerted of that. And then you can subscribe to that through that basically. Um, and the second thing is check out the Resilience Edge websites because that free 10 days of resilience course will be going up there. Awesome. Amazing. Um, thank you so much, Gemma, for, for coming on. This has been a like a super inspiring chat, actually. Yeah, for a Sunday morning. Yes. Yeah, it's, oh, no, no. it's yeah, a Sunday set up morning. The rest of my day. We're all going on our normal lives now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute privilege. Um, Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much, Gemma. As I said, you know, you you put something in LinkedIn and you never know whether you're going to get a reply back. And as I said, I I was blown away by kind of your LinkedIn page and the newsletters and the courses and, and all of your content and stuff. So... I feel really privileged, as I said, to have you on um, and that you replied to my message. So thank you so much, Gemma. <laughs> Shoot your shot. Exactly, exactly. You miss oh. 100% of the opportunities you don't take. Oh, nice quote there at the end. Fabulous. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, you too. Thank you so much, Gemma. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Excellent episode. Really enjoyed that. Um, at times I forgot that I needed to maybe ask some questions because yep. I was just taking it all in. Um, you know, some some really high level kind of stuff that we're looking at there from an academic point of view. Yeah, but combined with, and she did it brilliantly, just those kind of top tips. Yeah, top tips are awesome. Um, you know, I'm trying to kind of prize out of our guests those little kind of key takeaways um, that you guys as an audience can can then go and put into your workplace or into your day-to-day lives because that's what I do when I listen to podcasts. So I'd like to do the same for you guys. So I hope that um, Gemma's kind of top tips there uh, on resilience uh, are really helpful for you and you can take them forward. But you're right, are coming from a really kind of in-depth and well-founded research. So we couldn't have asked for better um, and it sounds like like she's breaking open the field so there's going to be some really interesting stuff coming out 
from her and from the Resilience Edge going forward. So, like, absolutely recommend following her on LinkedIn and keeping up with what's going on because it is that mix of really, really solid academic research and really, really practical top tips. Absolutely. So we've got a bunch of people still to come, um, but I hope you've enjoyed this new upload day that you've checked us out on your commute. We just want to see if we can kind of fit into people's weeks a little bit better uh, so that you get the most out of listening to us. Uh, You will always get the most out of it if you feedback to us uh we'd love to hear from everybody on who you want to hear from who you want us to talk to uh, whether you want to come on yourself uh dr matt slater we're talking to you indeed and five star us guys give us a nice five star review if you are enjoying the podcast and you are listening to the episodes please let us know because the feedback is super important um you know we're a small humble podcast um but even the huge ones out there still rely on that feedback they still rely on those reviews um and so we definitely uh, would like some some feedback so if you are enjoying it please do five stars on itunes or wherever you listen to your podcast hit us up on social media at no i podcast email us mark or sean at no i podcast dot show uh find us both on linkedin as well we're trying to post a little bit more there and it sounds like it's a great place to be for the kind of stuff that we're putting out and uh, generally we're just super grateful for everyone listening welcome to tuesday mornings with uh, sean and mark and we will see you next week so what's left is for me to say goodbye from sean goodbye guys and goodbye from me goodbye you must be like the wolf pack teamwork yes